Welcome to Trinity United Methodist Church in Duncanville, Texas. What can ducks and sparrows teach us about the grace of God? Join us for the message, Suffer the Spirit. Good morning and welcome to worship here at Trinity United Methodist Church in Duncanville, Texas. What can ducks and sparrows teach us about the grace of God? We'll be talking about that a little later in our message, Suffer the Spirit. This week's scripture reading shall come from the books of Isaiah and Luke. We'll start with Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2. Listen now to the word of God. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and release to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. And now in Luke chapter 12, verses 6 and 7. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten in God's sight, but even the hairs of your head are all counted. Do not be afraid. You are of more value than many sparrows. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Off and on for years now, I have been taking a walk around my neighborhood most mornings. Now, it's easy to get out there when it's spring or fall, when we have nice moderate weather, but then comes the Texas summer. It just gets hotter and hotter and hotter. And this time of year, it's going to be really hard to get motivated to go walk for over an hour in this kind of heat, because it doesn't even matter how early you get up. The temperature may be lower, but the humidity is higher in the morning. So confession, I haven't walked very much during July and August, though I did start up again last week. But one of the reasons I've been able to stick with it over the long haul, however, is that I found this terrific walking path. At first, I'd just been walking around in my own immediate neighborhood, my own immediate subdivision, which was kind of boring after a while. But once when I was just out exploring, I found this fantastic walking path that is in the subdivision that's just on the other side of the main road near my house, the major road near my house. And there they have a path that goes behind the houses and follows a series of ponds, six ponds in all. And on these ponds, I find a multitude of ducks as well as great egrets and blue herons and other aquatic birds and and turtles of all sizes. I often will see an occasional bunny and I even came across a beaver once. Because I'm walking behind the houses, also there are dogs in the backyard who'll run along the fence wagging their tails and barking at me as I walk by. And over the months and years, I've gotten to know many of these individual dogs and ducks along the route. And I've grown to love this daily interaction with these wonderful animals, and it, 
It keeps me willing to go out there when it's hot or rainy or really, really cold because I got to go check on my ducks. Well, the ducks at one pond are particularly friendly. The whole swarm of ducks, and there's about 28 in all, will come right up to you. And at first, I was deeply touched because I assumed this meant that the ducks knew me and trusted me. Then it occurred to me that probably people have been feeding the ducks and they had just learned to associate humans with food. And alas, the ducks had no real affection for me. But that gave me an idea. So I went out to PetSmart and I bought a five-pound bag of wild duck food. People oftentimes will feed bread and crackers, which really isn't good for them. So I did go get them something nutritious. And so now when I go walking, I have a small Ziploc bag of duck chow in my pocket. <laughs> and those ducks really like me now. In fact, now if they see me coming from a distance, they start running toward me. <laughs> and there's nothing much funnier than watching ducks run. They're not very efficient runners, great swimmers, but they, it's very funny to watch them waddle back and forth. Now, not every, everyone's going to understand why I enjoy interacting with animals so much. My friend Pat, for example, is not an animal person, so she really doesn't get it. One of my nephews likes to go duck hunting. I told him to stay away from my ducks. One of the things, though, that I love about this congregation is that so many of us are animal lovers, and we have a bleeding heart for animals. We hate to see an animal suffering. I know many of us are looking forward to our blessing of the animals that we have scheduled for that first Saturday in October. So every morning I count the ducks on each pond just to make sure they're all there. And it always reminds me of this passage from Luke that Michael just read. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies, yet not one of them is forgotten in God's sight? But even the hairs of your head are all counted. Do not be afraid, you are, more, you are of more value than many sparrows. So I count the ducks. God counts everything else. God counts the sparrows and all the other animals and every hair that is upon your head. Jesus was able to see the sacred worth of every person that he encountered. And each individual could feel his love and concern that he had for them. And he reminded them of just how precious they were in God's sight. And so just as God keeps track of each sparrow, every plant and animal on this earth, God never loses sight of each one of us. Every hair on our head is numbered. And Jesus is able to see the sacred worth in each person because he is the very embodiment of God, the embodiment of of the Holy Spirit. His awareness of this sacred worth then made him especially attuned to seeing the suffering in others. So attuned, in fact, that when at the very beginning of his ministry, according to the Gospel of Luke, he visited the synagogue there in his hometown of Nazareth. There during the synagogue worship service, he was asked to read from the scroll. He picked the scroll of Isaiah. And he read the same words that Michael just read from Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and release to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. 
to comfort all who mourn. A little over two years ago, I gave a sermon series coming uh, from the Gospel of Luke. And you may recall that we made frequent reference, reference to Jesus' message that day to that synagogue in Nazareth where he quotes from the Isaiah passage. And I like to call it the Jesus agenda. These are the things that Jesus set out to do on the onset of his ministry. He came to preach good news to the poor and the oppressed, to heal the mournful and the brokenhearted, to announce freedom for prisoners and captives, and to proclaim that this year is the year of the Lord's favor. The more we seek to follow Jesus, the more we endeavor to have that same mind that was in Christ, then the more that the Holy Spirit will begin to penetrate and inhabit our hearts and minds. And as the Holy Spirit bores deeper into our psyches, the more and aware and responsive we become to the sufferings of others. And as we encounter the brokenhearted or we witness the lives of the poor, then the walls that we have erected around our own hearts, well, they just start to crumble away. And compassion rises up and warms our soul. And God replaces our hearts of stone with hearts of flesh. By ourselves, we're not capable of perceiving the sacredness of all persons. And in reality, it's far easier to feel sympathy for people who are like ourselves than to experience compassion for those who differ from us. Because bias and bigotry are a part of human nature and not a single one of us are immune. As we listen to the news, for example, some of us, if we're honest with ourselves, find it easier to feel compassion for a person, perhaps of our own racial or ethnic group, than it is to feel compassion for someone outside of our own group. For others of us, race or ethnicity is not the issue. We may have a harder time being sympathetic for someone from a different socioeconomic class or a different nationality or a different religion. Each of us has our blind spots. And I can tell you one group for which I usually feel nothing but contempt. And that's neo-Nazis and Klansmen and white supremacists and the like. I remember seeing photos of the faces of those who participated in the Unite the Right March in Charlottesville, Virginia, five years ago. And looking at those photos, I saw swarms of angry young white men with cold, dead eyes. And in those eyes, I could see the recklessness of hate and the epitome of evil. But then I saw an internet article that appeared shortly after, entitled, Would Jesus Punch a Nazi? Well, I kind of chuckled at the, at the uh, title, and at first I thought it would be an article about the repudiation of violence and an admonition to follow the way of Jesus. But the last paragraph read, if the situation calls for it, punch them. Punch them right in the face. Show them there are no safe spaces for Nazis, racists, and fascists in this country. I don't know and cannot say if that's what Jesus would do, but I can say with confidence that it's what all Christians must do. Well, I was kind of taken aback by this article. And I do not have all the answers to how to combat hate and extremism. But 
I do know that fighting hate with more hate or violence with more violence is not the Christian answer. In his masterpiece of a book, The Screwtape Letters, C.S. Lewis writes, hatred is often the compensation by which a frightened man reimburses himself for the miseries of fear. The more he fears, the more he will hate. That young Christian who wrote about punching Nazis is afraid. And in his fear, he has justified hate and violence and is now stooped to the same level as the racists. But as Martin Luther King said, darkness cannot drive out darkness, only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate, only love can do that. So if I want to be a beacon of light in this world, if I want to be a multiplier of love in this world, then I cannot return hate for hate. Paul says in his letter to the Romans, do not repay anyone evil for evil, beloved. Never avenge yourselves. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So if I'm going to find a way to overcome evil with good, then I'm going to have to find a way to love the haters. And when I first saw those Charlottesville photos of white supremacists, I could see the void in their eyes. But then I had a revelation. And I thought, there's probably not a single person in these photos that had a loving, functioning family. Now, none of us come from perfect families, but most of us come from families who are more or less normal. We may not have gotten everything we needed, but we received enough love to become mature, functioning adults who do not become virulent racists. Young people who feel loved and secure do not become neo-Nazis. Young people who are hopeful about their future do not become Klansmen. And young people who are not trapped in pits of despair and anger do not become white supremacists. Behind each of those pair of dead eyes lay a very wounded soul. And just like a wounded animal who feels cornered, Wounded people can lash out in fear and in pain. And they can project their own self-loathing and feeling of inadequacy onto some group of people from which they differ. I read another article shortly after Charlottesville, but this one was about people who had been involved with hate groups but had found a way out. And in each case, the person had encountered a member of a group whom they had previously despised, who treated them kindly and lovingly. So hate had not won out over hate. Love had rescued them out of hate. Back in 2005, after Hurricane Katrina wiped out much of the Mississippi Delta, as you know, thousands of refugees left, and at least hundreds, I think thousands, even came to the North Texas area. And there was one young couple at that time in my church at First UMC in Denton who were so moved by the news stories that they decided they were going to offer to house one Katrina family in their own home. So they drove down to Dallas. I think they had a lot of the refugees at the convention center at the time. And there they were connected with a young woman and her seven-year-old son. And the mother and son had just spent several days 
at the New Orleans Superdome, if you remember those news stories, in very squalid and very dangerous conditions. Moreover, this young woman was about eight months pregnant and been suffering from premature labor pains because of all this extreme stress brought on by this whole situation. So the Denton couple brought them back to their home, fed them, let them take showers, let them go to sleep in a real bed. The next morning was Sunday, and that young woman was in a deep sleep. In fact, she was so exhausted that she ended up sleeping for 24 hours straight before waking up again. But unsure what to do, the couple decided just to take the seven-year-old son to church with them, and they left a note for the mom in case she woke up. They dropped the boy then off at the children's Sunday school class. And there this boy proceeded to act out and became very disruptive, causing commotion, bullying the other children, being very defiant toward the teachers. But instead of punishing the boy, one of the teachers very wisely took this boy by the hand and led him into an empty room where there was a rocking chair in the corner. And this teacher sat down in the chair and lifted this boy onto her lap and began to rock him back and forth. And at first, he just sat there very stiffly. But after a moment or two, he began to relax. And after another moment or two, the little guy just broke out into sobs. And he cried for 15 minutes straight while that teacher gently rocked him and was also crying herself. I love this story because I can think of no better illustration of the grace and mercy that God extends to each of us. Instead of the punishment that we may deserve, God sees through our sin to the woundedness that lies beneath. Then God proceeds to bind up the broken heart and comfort those who mourn and proclaim relief from all that enslaves us. And just as God has offered grace to us, the Holy Spirit conforms us to the mind of Christ, enabling us to see the woundedness beneath the sin, no matter how ugly its expression. As Paul also says in Romans, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. Now make no mistake, I am going to fight the ideology of hate with all of my heart and soul and mind and strength. I will fight it from the pulpit. I will fight it from the ballot box. I will fight it in the street if I have to. But that fight is going to be one of spiritual warfare. I, do not, I will not succumb to hate and violence, even against those who embrace hate and violence. And I'll continue to surrender to the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and let the Holy Spirit root out whatever bigotry and prejudice and residual racism that still lingers in the damp recesses of my own soul. So I invite you to pray to let the Holy Spirit be at work within you in order to make you more aware and responsive to the suffering of others, more attuned to the woundedness that we all carry around with us, and more courageous than ever against the fight of hate and bigotry. Do not be overcome by evil, 
but overcome evil with good. Amen. And now receive this benediction. God's eye is on the sparrow and God's eyes are always on us. So go forth secure in the love of God and spread the love of God to all you meet along the way. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We hope today's service was a blessing to you. Join us every Sunday here on Facebook Live at 11 a.m. Join us again next Sunday as we continue our sermon series, The Holy Spirit, God on Fire. You can always access our services through our website, tumcd.org, our Facebook page, our YouTube channel, and our podcast, Jane's Most Excellent Church Adventure. If you like what you're hearing, you can also support our ministry with your gift through our website, tumcd.org. God bless you in the week ahead, and we'll see you Sunday at Trinity United Methodist Church.